Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When it comes to private health care, and more accurately private health care insurance, in this country, few people are more engaged, I don't think anybody is, than our first guest today, Dr. Brian Day, the head of Camby Surgery Center in Vancouver. Dr. Day, as many of you know, most of you know in this country, has had a case going forward in the courts for years, and just months ago, the BC Court of Appeal ruled against Dr. Day, so now it's going to go to the Supreme Court of Canada. But what I find particularly interesting is that in 2005, here's what the Canadian Medical Association wrote. The CMA, the Canadian Medical Association, supports the principle that when timely access to care cannot be provided in the public health care system, the patient should be able to utilize private health insurance to reimburse the cost of care obtained in the private sector. If all that sounds confusing, and I knew it does to a lot of folks, because we've been around this tree and from so many compass points, many people really don't know what's going on anymore as far as care is concerned, except for the fact that it's very difficult to obtain. Five million Canadians have no family doctor, so the first link of the healthcare chain breaks down. And if you need surgeries or you need diagnosis or you need treatment, in so many cases across the country now, it's unavailable because the system is under such massive stress. Dr. Brian Day is the founder of Canby Surgery Center in Vancouver, former president of the Canadian Medical Association. Dr. Day, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Where, before we get into detail, would you just explain to us, please, and explain to our listeners what I just read? What did the Canadian Medical Association support in 2005? So actually, it, it remains CMA policy today. That, um, and the CMA intervened in the Charlie case that you referenced um, in, in Quebec. And the Quebec case that went to the same Supreme Court of Canada that we're going to. And, and basically what they said is that if, if, a, if the government won't provide the service in a timely fashion, in a, in a safe fashion, um, in, in other words, within the time limit that, they, that governments have determined is safe, then you should have the right it's a right that every citizen in every other country on the planet has, but not every Canadian, um, to use private health insurance. And, and, you know, we do use private health insurance already for um, prescription drugs and, and physiotherapy and things like that, which are essential also. So, um, but, so we're essentially hoping to have the Supreme Court of Canada um, basically say, yes, uh, Residents outside of Quebec should have the same rights that we granted to Quebec residents um, um, in 2005. That that's the gist of our argument, and um, that if and this is you know this is a freedom that every country offers to its citizens. Even the extreme authoritarian and communist countries offer this offer this as as a, a right. You know, and it comes down to the fundamental question. 
asking who owns your body, who is responsible for your bodily health. And in Canada, the governments take the take the position that they are, they own your bodies and they are responsible for your bodily health. Well, we know that in Canada, it is impossible in many areas to receive timely public care now. It's just not there because the system is so overburdened. So in, in, in a case of a patient who would require your services, can we do a hypothetical here? A patient who requires your services, engages your services, and then needs to pay for the service, if that person were to have the insurance or the right to purchase insurance, how would it work? Well, it would be like going to the dentist. And you, you see, I, I, I basically um, take the position that, um, that the government cannot promise health care, then fail to deliver it in a timely manner, and then make it unlawful for you to take matters into your own hands and look after yourself. And, and this is, to me, this is a fundamental freedom that should exist in any um, democracy, and actually it does exist in every other democracy, and it exists in every authoritarian company. You know, one, one of the things you alluded to is, is the five million people that can't get a family doctor. Mm-hmm. Guess why that is? Guess who cut back on the medical schools in the, in the 90s, saying, oh, there are too many doctors treating too many patients, and that's causing costs to rise. So they, the solution of governments was to close um, medical schools and uh, cut back medical schools by up to 30% across the country and to close nursing schools. And guess what? We have a shortage of doctors. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So your argument in court is basically what you've just described to us, correct? Yes, yeah. The, the, the bigger difference is that you know, one, of the, the, one of the things that's changed now since 2005 is that governments across the country have established the maximum times that patients should wait for every, pretty well every procedure. Yeah. And the evidence, government data um, that was in our trial shows that patients are waiting beyond the maximum time that the government says has ruled has stated is safe, and and yet they're still denied any uh, the ability to do anything about it. So over fifteen thousand uh, patients die every year on public wait lists in Canada, and many more die without getting onto the wait list and before they they've made a wait list because as you know there's a big a big wait to get on the wait list. Okay. So the, yeah, it is. the system the system has collapsed. It's in the news, as you said, every every day. And um, and one of the things which you alluded to in your introduction, um, uh, Roy, was that the money doesn't follow the patient. So so if you're a hospital in Canada, unlike every other developed country, um, in the OECD, and um, if you go to a hospital, you are concerned the annual revenue that they've received. Whereas in every other, so in New Zealand or Sweden or those countries, other countries with social services that exceed ours in many ways, and when you go to an emergency department or to a hospital for a procedure, the public, the government pays the facility and the hospital a fee. Here, that doesn't happen. The money doesn't follow the patient. So uh, if you're the chief financial officer of a hospital here, the last thing you want is patients because they use up your annual budget. Dr. Day, the, the argument against your position is that the, if I understand it correctly, I think I do, 
the poor will be pushed to the back of the queue. What do you say to that? Well, it's not absolutely not true. And there are two reasons for this. Uh, one is the poor, are, quote, are already at the back of the queue. Stats Canada says the worst access and the worst health outcomes in Canada right now under the status quo are in lower income groups. Um, but the other point is, you know, I lived and worked in Switzerland for a while. And, and the government can do what the Swiss government does, which is if you're low income, if, if, if the public system is not performing, which um, is in the hands of the pub, of the government, and if if you um, there is nothing to do to stop governments doing what the Swiss government does, and that is low income Canadian um, Swiss uh, have their premiums paid by the government, and so so if it, the perception is that those with private health insurance are getting better access, then let the government pay the premiums for the for low income groups, and let those who can afford it or have employers that will fund it. Um, Pay, pay themselves or have it through as a work benefit, just like, you know, dental and, and, and hospital and prescription drugs and so on are, are often covered here. And, but the other thing I should re- remind you of, which is part of the bizarre system, is that this changes if you cross a border. So, so a few months ago, I was operating in BC quite, you know, this is allowed on three Albertans who were on long wait lists in Alberta Whereas a colleague, while a colleague in Alberta was operating on three BC residents, so this is nonsense. There's no. This is like this should be in a Monty Python skit with people sharing this, you know, sharing the, the rides each way. When when I moved to Quebec from Ontario in 2007 and lived there for nine years, one of the things I became aware of was that my healthcare, my Quebec healthcare, was not portable, or in a very limited manner. So if I went to another province, I was covered up to $100 a day. That's not going to get you any coverage at all. So I was told that if I moved within Canada to another province, I had to buy travel health insurance. And it just sounds bizarre. And so last weekend when we spoke with the current and immediate past presidents of the Canadian Medical Association, we talked about 13 different health jurisdictions that exist in one country. That by itself just leads to an unwieldy reality. How can 13 different jurisdictions work cooperatively and and in a synchronized manner, Dr. Day, in in, 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 a, in a national environment. I, I just don't see how it's possible. Well, they don't. And that's why, you know, the, as I say, we have, counting the federal government, we have 14 ministries of health in Canada and for a population of 38 million. Other countries with double the population have one. And uh, that's why if you compare Canada to Germany, for every public health bureaucrat that... Um, that Germany has, Canada has 11, and they're consuming, they're consuming the healthcare budget. And that's why Canada, in, in the, uh, according to the Canadian Institute for Health Information and the Commonwealth Fund, is of, of 10 countries with universal healthcare uh, that they surveyed, we are the most expensive and the worst in access and the worst in equity. So we don't look after the low-income groups. It's... it's um, it's just that this information is uh, needs to get out there, and and um, I guess you're helping it get out. Well, I think it's I mean, it's critically important. We have people on waiting lists who are dying. Well, just just last week, I got a call from someone who who, who said, "Can I help her, BC resident? Can I help her? She's been diagnosed with a cancer and has been given an appointment for September." 
And um, of course, we're not allowed to. So we say, well, maybe you should go to Alberta and, and see if they can look after you there. And, um, you know, this is this is uh, there's a, a fellow from Rome, Italy, a health expert who has written a 14 page article in an Italian law journal um, uh, describing Canada's health system as one designed for wealthy people who can afford to go to the United States when they need health care. Mm-hmm. I take it you have no shortage of patients. No, we, we, we are treating non-residents. I mean, this week I, I operated on patients from Alberta, Ontario, and, um, and that's the way, that's the bizarre situation right now that exists, that, that if you're from a different province, it's like you're from a different, um, different country in terms of healthcare. But it shouldn't be this way. It sh- we should look, you know, it's like I, I'd use the hockey analogy, if, if there are 10 countries doing better than you that have universal healthcare and you're the most expensive and the least perfor- worst performer, wouldn't you want to look at the top two or three and see what mm-hmm. they're doing and maybe try and copy some of the elements of the system that they operate under that's more efficient and, and treat yeah. the patient in a timely way? We've often said, why not look at the systems that work in other countries and borrow or just adopt the best of their system and apply it to this country because there's a clear need. So we have these competing positions. And so, so you're seen as being um, compromising. Your plan is to compromise the healthcare system, the public healthcare system, and provide an option for those who can pay as opposed to those who cannot pay. But our public healthcare system isn't working. Well, yeah, but that they don't admit that. They think it's wonderful, obviously. I mean, I, I think that the point, you know, in terms of the generic, but the point is that a monopoly, which is what they want to maintain these groups, you know, the trade unions want to maintain their monopoly, um, but not the trade union members. You know, when we opened our clinic, 95% of unionized staff at the, at the, at the hospital were, were polled and were supportive. And, um, and what... Um, you know what? What a what a private facility offers is a safer environment, and a surgery center offers a safer environment. And those the stats are very clear: almost forty percent less, forty times fewer complications than in a public hospital. And when surgeries are performed in these in these freestanding centers, but but you got to remember when the private sector builds them, they're built. They are. There are significant advantages for the government. They're built at no cost to the taxpayer. The construction phase uh, creates jobs and economic activity, and all of the infrastructure and equipment is paid for uh, by non-government funds. And, and unlike pu- public hospitals, they generate if they do make a, a profit, which is a dirty word in, 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 in terms of what trade unions think, then, then they pay re- tax revenue to all three levels of government, municipal, federal, and provincial. And if they fail, the government doesn't suffer any losses. But the advantages are massive. And actually, the Alberta government um, has determined in, in an audit that um, joint replacements, if they're done in a private freestanding surgery center, uh, cost $1,500 per case less uh, than done in a hospital. Okay. So they actually say, contracting out actually saves the government, uh, or rather saves the taxpayer. So, so, so what is your thinking on, and we've heard that uh, the federal government and the provinces are closer 
to a new funding model. The provinces have been asking for $28 billion uh, from the federal government for, as in, more input, more financial input. It's not just about, and I, um, the immediate past president of the CMA told us last weekend, and I said before, Dr. Smart, the money has to follow the patient. It's not just about putting more money into the healthcare system, is it? Putting more money into the system, I don't know if it improves anything. It, it, will, it will put more, more money into a system that just seems to absorb huge amounts of money um, very quickly, and, and the results are, are simply not there. Otherwise, we wouldn't have people on massively long wait lists and not being treated. But what do you think of this, this whole idea of a new funding model? Well, it was tried in 2004 in, in uh, Chrétien and the First Minister's meeting, put $40 billion in and described it, as a fix. they described it as a fix for a generation. It didn't, it, things have gotten worse. So I, I putting, you know, one of the few things I agree with the federal government on is, is putting the money in with no, no requirement for accountability is inappropriate. The other thing I should mention, because you brought up the registrar saying it would take away nurses or staff is absolutely not true. There are unemployed orthopedic surgeons in this in this country, 200 of them, who can't get a job because the government is rationing access. And and these colleges, the College of Physicians of, of, of Ontario is one of 13 such organizations in Canada. Again, they should all be dismantled and replaced with one um, one body that grants licenses to Canadians. They're, they're, am, I correct if I, am I correct if I suggest these provincial colleges are entities unto themselves, essentially? Exactly. They're, bureau- they're part of the massive bureaucracy. There are 3,500 young Canadians in foreign medical schools and who, who, uh, who need to come back, and these colleges are, in many cases, blocking them by the slow, ponderous thing. I think if we close down... Well, um, all of those colleges and had just one national body, which is what they do in other countries, uh, then we would save a lot of money and uh, expedite the process. And also, yeah. and those doctors that are working in those colleges, and there are dozens in every college, um, could go back to practicing medicine and treating patients instead of shuffling paper in the college. You know, Dr. Day, in uh, 2000, I had a uh, cardiac procedure done. I had a 99% blockage of my left anterior descending artery, which is called the Widowmaker. And I waited months to get into uh, to get into a cath lab for an angiogram and then the procedure. And I spoke with the head of cardiology at the Hamilton General Hospital at the time. Um, I think it was actually the chief of medicine. And he was lamenting the fact that patients were dying on wait lists. That was in 2000. It hasn't gotten any better. And I just feel that, and, and this is just one Canadian's opinion, there's just pushback and resistance to change. And I don't know why that is, because if we look at the big picture again of healthcare delivery in Canada, it is in trouble. And by that, we mean that Canadians are in trouble. Individual Canadians are suffering and struggling because they can't get the healthcare we've been promised, and frankly, which we pay for. So other options need to be examined. You mentioned Switzerland earlier. I've spoken with um, the, the head of the Swiss healthcare system on this program, not recently, but a few years ago. And, and he pointed out that each Swiss citizen is required by law to buy insurance. And that insurance is, is, is based on, I think it was the, just the individual financial 
strengthen that of the individual. As you pointed out, people who cannot afford it, the state pays for it. But the expectation is that you will pay for your health insurance and you will perhaps access the system a little less frequently and only when you need it. I don't know if that's fair or not or if I'm describing it properly, but that's what I remember. So our system is not working. The fact that so many people are struggling and suffering and don't have a doctor, that in and of itself points to the problem. And, and we have these, I, I call them self-interest self groups, um, like the, the nurses' union, who actually put, the, put the, the, the leaders of those unions putting their own, their own desires and needs ahead of patients. And that's Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Yeah. I absolutely know that. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.